puts on the PowerPoint. Pray with me. Second. Technology, right? Don't you love it? You do when it works. But you know, can you hear me yet? <laughs> Sometimes it happens. So, and it's always when you need it the most. You know, it just goes dead. All right, commercial break. We need one of those acts and skits. All right, here we go. So pray with me. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. So welcome and good morning to all. We're in week two of our week three of our series and week two of our fast, right? This is going to kick off week two. 40 Days to Breakthrough. That's the title of the series because I know in my heart that that is the heart of God for every single person, every single family in this room, that God wants to see a breakthrough in your life. And, you know, a series about fasting is about giving up our comfort food uh, for 40 days. Uh, and that could be tough for us, right? Um, but I'm glad that you're hanging in there or attempting to hang in there because it's, listen, don't we all love breads and cakes and all that sort of stuff? Likely that we do. Uh, and it's a little bit of a challenge, right, when we have to give that up. But Keep the end goal in mind. What are we praying for? We're believing for a breakthrough. Those areas in your life that have been stuck, that loved one that needs your help, that's what we're believing for, that God would break through. Do you know what in the scripture he's called God of the breakthrough? Adonai Peretz, the Lord of the breakthrough. That's who he is. It's in the very DNA of God. God desires to break through on behalf of his people. So um, remember this. So as we go upstairs later, this is a judgment-free zone. Say that, judgment-free. That means we're all fasting different things. Some are doing the Daniel fast, so they might gravitate to the, to the fruits and veggies, right? Um, others are just fasting coffee and sweets, and they might have a bagel or something like that. Others are fasting from watching TV or social media, whatever. But while we fast from different things, we have the same purpose. And that purpose is that each one of us are praying for your breakthrough, right? For your life, for your family, that thing that you wrote down on your contract or whatever it is. Do you know what? Thursday night when we had prayer, we brought out the, the manila envelope with those contracts that had all your requests on it. And we laid hands on that and we prayed over those and your requests specifically. That God is going to break through in your life. Amen? And so we all have that purpose. And it's a physical sacrifice, but it's to gain a spiritual breakthrough. So let me, before I get into today's message, give a little recap of where we're at. When God's people humble themselves, right, to seek the Lord's face, something supernatural always happens. It just happened today. So I don't have to look far back into my history. It just happened. God's presence was here. 
And that's what happens when you seek the face of God. Um, last week, we uh, looked at Daniel chapter 10, right? Remember that? And we saw that fasting releases a spiritual breakthrough as Daniel prayed and 21 days later, or actually 24 days later, which is important to note, the breakthrough came. Daniel fasted, God released an angel with an answer to his prayer, but the angel was delayed in the heavenlies, it tells us in the Hebrew scriptures, that there was something, there was opposition to the angel coming right away. Now you would think, you mean God sends an angel and it can be opposed? Yeah. Yeah, it can be opposed. Uh, did it ultimately break through? Absolutely. Did God and Daniel get the victory? Yes, they did. But we need to have that imagery in mind when we go through our struggles and as we believe for God to break through in our lives. You see, there was a spiritual battle in the heavenlies, and Ephesians 6 tells us the exact same thing. Right? We heard it today, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That would be so easy, wouldn't it? If there was someone in your way and keeping you from your healing, keeping from you from your blessing, keeping you from whatever it is, then you could just remove them. That's so easy. But the scripture says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But it intimates that we do wrestle against spiritual entities that try to hinder God's purposes and try to hinder you, quite frankly. So, there's something about physical obedience that releases spiritual power. They're, con they're, they're, like, they're, they're connected. And when God asks us to do these simple physical acts, right? Even Yeshua himself, he didn't just heal the man's eye, he spit on some mud, rolled it around, put it on. Why the theatrics, you might add, right? Why? Who knows why? <laughs> but God sometimes asks us to do certain things to achieve the end purpose. So think about it. You may not get what you want and what you're praying for in the first 40 days. It may come at the end of your fast like it did for Daniel. Daniel didn't get the breakthrough during the this three weeks of fasting. He got it like on day 24, like three days after he was finished. Well, that's how it is sometimes because we need to realize that this battle that we're talking about is real, but God is greater. Amen? Well, I promise you this that when you obey God, when you seek his face, God will break through in your life. And especially, how exciting is it when you know that you have 50 or 60 other people believing with you, praying with you, fasting with you. See, I'm not fasting for me, I'm fasting for you. Okay, and we're fasting for each other that you would achieve the breakthrough that you long for. See, the Bible promises that the Lord is a rewarder of those who seek him. And it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. And so that's what we believe. So let me just say this, that perhaps you're here and you're hearing this for the first time, 
and you'd like to start, jump in. Talk to us after the service, and we can get you a guide, and you can begin to fast tonight as the Lord would lead, okay? And you could get in on what we're doing. Um, so if you didn't turn in a contract, it's not too late. Fill one out today, get it to an usher, and you can get on board. If you fell off the wagon on day three, you know, you passed that bagel and, you know, the car went off the road, you had to get to your favorite bagel shop with the cream cheese and the locks, whatever. I understand that these things happen in real life. That's okay. If you fell off, get back on. And even if you fall off every other day and you end up fasting half the time, that's still a win. That's still a powerful thing. So um, jump back in today. And I'm here to encourage you in the Lord. And I want you to prepare for the battle ahead because it's going to be a battle. Say battle. 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 It says in Psalm 144 and 1, Blessed be Adonai, my rock, who does what? Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Fasting is spiritual warfare. Fasting is a part of engaging in spiritual warfare. It is in some sense intentionally picking a fight with the enemy, which is okay, especially when the enemy has his hands on your stuff or your body or your loved one or a soul of someone you want to see free. It's okay to pick a fight with him. Someone can say amen. <clears throat> Remember, fasting isn't a diet. It's not about just, you know, Physical temptation, laying off the coffee and the Krispy Kremes. Although, you, you, isn't this funny? i got to give you a quick aside. I'm watching TV, and here comes the commercial, KFC. They got a piece of fried chicken in between two glazed donuts. Are you kidding me? What are they trying to do to the Rebbe? They're trying to pull my heart out. I'm like, kids, okay, forget the fast. We're not fasting anything. Let's go to... <laughs> In my heart, that was my initial. This can't be. This can't be. Thing is, the colonel, right? Glazed donut. But I got a hold of myself. <laughs> and I remember the reason why we're doing this. It's not to eat glazed donuts and fried chicken. No, it's to see a breakthrough for God's people. Amen? Fasting is a spiritual discipline that has a profound impact on the unseen, invisible realm. So, all right. You and I have an enemy who is not okay with you drawing closer to God who's not okay with you walking in health, who's not okay with you being blessed and happy and joyful. He's not okay with that. And in fact, he wasn't okay with the Messiah walking in the power of God. He wasn't okay with it. He's not okay with you asking for God's hand of favor on your life. He's not okay in you asking for God to bless your marriage. He's not okay 
with your family receiving a breakthrough. You see, Satan is not okay with any of this. Satan wants you to go back to sleep, to settle for the status quo in your life, in your marriage, in your family. Just keep things lukewarm, no breakthrough. Satan doesn't want you working up an appetite for God, for more of him and less of you. No, he wants more of you. The enemy wants more of you. He wants more of your time, more of your energy, more of your resource. He doesn't want you to give that to God. He wants it for himself. And so the enemy is going to tell you lots of things when you're on this fast. How can you be sure, Rabbi? Because we have an example from Scripture in Luke chapter 4 where he told the same things to the Son of God. And we're going to look at that in a moment. You see, I got some news for you. Yeshua defeated the enemy. Isn't that exciting? He lost that battle at the tree of sacrifice. The enemy lost. As a believer, you have victory in Messiah, but you have to learn to walk in it. That's just the truth. To walk in power, to walk in the authority of the Lord that he gives you as a son and daughter of the Most High. And here are some things, though, that people often miss. I want you to pay close attention to what I'm saying. I've been wrestling, and I, there's no kids in the room, so we're good to go, about whether I would share some things or not. But I'm going to share them because you're all adults, and you can handle it. And plus, it happened to me, not you. <laughs> so, um, so let's get into it. First, I want to tell you that a few things people miss. First, Yeshua... You know, we think of Yeshua in a lot of ways, the little baby in the manger. You know, whatever we do. Sing the beautiful songs. But you know, in reality, Yeshua came and declared war on the forces of darkness. It says he came, the Son of God was manifest to what? Destroy the works of the evil one. Not to pray for the evil one. Not to, you know, people ask silly questions. Is it possible that Satan will get redeemed in the end? No. He didn't come to pray for him. He came to destroy him and destroy all of his diabolical works. That's what the Son of God came to do. First of all, and if you don't see him like that, you should. Because the book of Revelation clearly shows a Messiah that's returning. It says his robe is dipped in blood. He has a sword, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, fire in his eyes. On his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not coming back to play games. He's coming back to destroy evil. Is that good with you? That's totally good with me. The second thing we need to understand is Yeshua won the victory and promises that we can and should, as his people, live in victory. Now, so far I know everyone's with me. Everyone's like, yes, Rabbi. Absolutely, Yeshua, yes. He declared war on the enemy. He defeated the enemy. Hallelujah. And he wants me to live in victory. Baruch Hashem. Well, here is where you lose some folks. 
Although God makes these promises to us and he exerts supernatural power to pave the way for our victory, we still have to engage the enemy to see it realized. Consider this verse, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Here's the, let me lay out the scenario of the verse before we get into it. David was, in, was promised and anointed as king of Israel even though Shaul was still the king. God said, he's done, you're the king. God promised him. And yet David ran for many, many years even though God said he's the king. But now in this verse, Shaul is dead. You would think, now it's a cakewalk, right? God promised me the kingship. Shaul is dead. I'm the king, right? No problems, no worries. Well, look what the verse says. Reinforcements to assist David reached him daily until there was a great army like the army of God. Following are the numbers of those who came armed for war to David in Hebron in order to transfer to him the kingdom of Shaul according to what God had said. So the point is that the promise God made to David did not come without battle. That yes, in order to see that transfer take place that God ordained, that God promised, David had to go to war. And how many people went to war? At the end of that chapter, you see how many? 120,000 men. Friend, that is huge. 120,000 men assembled to make sure God's promise happened. Now, do you think God needed help? On the one hand, no. But on the other hand, that's how he ordained it to be, that he would work with them. And so 120,000 men gathered to do battle to make sure God's promise happened. And I want to tell you, God's promise for your life, he absolutely wants to happen, but you might have to do some battling. Me and my wife were talking about a lot of things, and, you know, we live in America, and I don't know, whatever you think of America, you might love it, you might hate it. If you hate it, I feel bad for you. But there is real evil in the world. I mean, real evil. I mean, evil where, where men take advantage of little girls. Evil of where they take babies and smash their skulls against trees. Why? Because they're evil. And when you look at the Bible, I know sometimes when we read a verse like we read today in Scripture, oh my gosh, that God ordered that, that, that is, what kind of God would do that? Let me tell you what kind of a God would do that. A God that wants to have mercy on individuals who are getting their children stolen and raped. Babies smashed and killed. That's the kind of God that comes in and destroys people who are filled with evil. I was listening to a, a, a podcast, The Navy Seal, and he was talking about the battle, the battle at Ramadi. And he said, the people there, 
loved them. You want to know why they loved them? Because their children were being assaulted and killed. And when those soldiers would take out a terrorist, they would come out and cheer for them. Can you imagine being a father or a mother and that happening to your kids with no recourse? And then here comes someone, a group of people that look like angels. And they free your city and they make you safe so the kids could go outside in the street and kick a, a, a soccer ball without thinking they're going to be beaten and bruised and worse. That's why you have to fight, because evil doesn't go away easy. Ask Yeshua, the Son of God, all authority in heaven on earth, told the enemy to go, but he came back time and time again. So... What I'm talking about today is not physical war, obviously. It's a spiritual war. But a spiritual one that is just as intense, but just uses different weapons. I want to tell you a couple of quick stories from my life. Do you want to know why I know that the presence of God was here? Because I know the presence of evil. I was a brand new believer. I believe it maybe a week, two but man, I was on fire for God, like we all are when we're new believers, right? Just coming home from work, getting into the Bible, reading, praying, memorizing the scripture, you know. And I came home one day from work and I go and feel, I say, hey, mom, you know, I was young then, in my 20s. I said, mom, I'm going to go pray. Right? Mom's making dinner. And I go into my room and pray and it was, yeah, bad, just like fall, right? And like 6 o'clock, and you know, 6 o'clock in fall, it's dark by then. And I get down by the side of my bed and I start to pray. And all of a sudden, I hear what sounds like a, a wolf. And I didn't make it up, man. My, the hair on the back of my neck stood up straight like a pin. And I hear, I'm a brand new believer. Can I tell you, frankly, I was scared to death. What in the world is that? Uh, here I am. Like frozen. I hear this sound and it's getting closer to me. All I'm doing is by the side of my bed like this, praying to God. And I hear this thing and I could almost feel it. I was like, gulp, brand new believer, what the heck do you do now? Well, the only thing I knew what to do is I called on the name of Yeshua. And I said his name once, and twice, and three times, and four times, and all of a sudden, gone. And I walked out of my room for dinner, my knees knocking, tick, 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 tick. That's pretty bizarre, right? Hey, God, maybe we can make sure that doesn't happen again? But that wasn't in the cards for me. So a few nights later, I go to bed, and I'm sleeping. All of a sudden, I wake up, and I can't move. 
I feel like someone has me in a bear hug, and not only can I move, I can't move my feet, I can't move my arms, I can't even open my mouth. I'm clamped down, and I'm like, whoop. Can you imagine what I would be like? I'm like, uh, this is like a movie. This is pretty scary. And, of course, I'm praying in my spirit. I'm praying to God. And all of a sudden, my mouth freeze after, like, it seemed like forever, but it was probably like 40 seconds. It seemed like 40 years. And all of a sudden, I, I'm able to free my mouth, and I'm able to say his name again. And I say his name. And I say his name twice. And I say his name a third time. And all of a sudden, I'm released. And I'm like, God, I don't really want to go to bed tomorrow. You think I was done, right? Oh, I wish it was so. But it wasn't. And then a few days later from that, now, you know, can I tell you? Now I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm new to this. I'm soaking wet two weeks into this walk of faith. And I'm experiencing some things that I'd rather not be. So, go to bed. And now this time I wake up and I can't move. I can't move my feet. I can't move my arms. I can't open my mouth. And now it feels like, and I can't tell you if this happened in the natural or if it was only spilled. All I know is like I'm being flung around the room like a rag doll. What? Scary number three. And then the same thing happens. I'm able to speak again, and I call on the name of Yeshua. It breaks, I'm released, and I'm laying in bed in a pool of sweat saying, holy cow. Hardly real, God. I don't really believe it, but yet I believe it because it happened to me. And so... When I'm talking to you about spiritual warfare, friend, I know it's real. And I know what hell feels like. And I know what heaven feels like. And when today we were in worship, can I tell you, heaven was here. You might not be able to distinguish the difference, but I can tell you, my friend, heaven was in the house. Because I know the difference. When hell walks up and rolls up onto the scene, bad things happen. Let me ask you a quick question. Who do you really think is behind cancer? Who do you think is behind that? Do you think God said, let me make the heavens and the earth? Hey, Adam and Eve, let me give you some cancer to deal with. Oh, let's do that on day uh, five and a half. Let me just release some cancer cells into the world. Do you think that's what happened? No. Cancer and sickness and disease and evil and bad people are all because of Satan. It's the works that Yeshua came not to play with, not to see if he'll change his mind and be nice to you. He came to destroy them so that they would never be seen again. And everywhere Yeshua went, he destroyed them immediately. And know what he did? Yeshua had a brainstorm. He said, I'm one person. 
because that's how God's design worked, that he would send right the son who would become flesh and blood. But now he's confined to a body. But what's the master plan? Let me train my people who I'll leave on earth and they'll multiply just like yeast works through dough. Just like a mustard seed planted and takes over the garden, I'll give my people this same authority so that they can go out and destroy the works when they appear in their lives. And that's what he did. And it's funny, when you read the book of Acts, you see exactly that. You see exactly that everywhere they go. Shaul is saying, there's a person nagging him, but he knew it wasn't a person. He turns around and he rebukes the demon. And he takes care of it. And the sick they heal and the dead are raised. All these things happen because they understood that what they were dealing with wasn't just flesh and blood. They realized that there is a spiritual component to this thing that has to be dealt with. You know, there's an epidemic in our society on young people with anxiety. Where do you think that's from? It all of a sudden appeared. It wasn't something we dealt with 20 years ago. It just appeared right out of the blue. Things don't just appear in your life. See, this is what the enemy wants you to think, that it's just a coincidence, a happenstance. Oh, it's just human nature. No, it's not human nature. There are, there's God, who is love, joy, peace, all those things. And then there is the antithesis of God, not God's equal by any stretch, not God's equal. But there is the antithesis of God that hates everything good. And Yeshua really wants you and me to understand that so when it manifests in our life, we can take a tool, a spiritual weapon like fasting, and see it destroyed so it doesn't come back. I'm going to give you one more story. I'm going to get on with the rest of the message. A few years back, we had some serious, serious attacks against this congregation. To the point where many of you know, it wasn't looking good. And what do I know what to do? The only thing I know what to do is seek God. That's all I know. And I can tell it to you now because, you know, when I was doing it, it wouldn't have been wise. But I began to fast, not just a little bit, for almost an entire year. I fasted four days every week, and I ate three days a week for a whole year. And I fasted everything. I didn't eat anything. I fasted for four days, and I ate for four days. And I fasted, and I ate, and I fasted, and I ate. Some of you remember some of the side effects of that. At the very, very end, I was passing out from time to time, and it was getting a little challenging to keep that rigor up. But I did it for just about a year. But I know God used it, and that's why we're here today. 
I know that the enemy would love nothing else but to destroy God's people and God's work. And sometimes you have to man up and take a stand. Because guess what? No one was going to volunteer to do it for us. Robert Carroll and myself both for a year. When I think about that, I'm saying, God, how in the world did I do that? I don't take any credit because it sounds ridiculous that I could even do it. Matter of fact, I would venture to say I can't do it unless God enabled me to do it. It was a supernatural enablement of God. And so these little things that we think are just, oh, just fast and things are going to change. No, there is a war over your life over the community in which we live. You know, we sit here and we talk about God wanting to save people. As soon as that leaves your lips, the enemy is all over that. When you say God for healing, the enemy hates that. And the only thing the enemy understands is authority and power. And the only thing that is going to free us from any situation, whether it be sickness, disease, malady, terror, whatever it is, is God's mighty power. And yes, we have to cooperate, and so we fast a little. Let's, by the way, I'm no worse for the wear. I didn't melt away to a shadow. And when we do that, God brings victory. It's a mindset. You hear me? It would be like the mindset, let me give you another analogy. Everyone's talking about the coronavirus, right? <gasps> so now with the coronavirus, because you're a little fearful that you might catch something, what do you do? All of a sudden, you can't find any hand sanitizer in the stores anymore, right? The soap dispensers are totally empty. Everyone's gone. Everyone is taking precautions. What are you? You are heightened to the fact that you don't want to get sick. And so anyone that sneezes, you hear them sneeze this way, you go that way. Someone wants to shake your hand, you fist pump them, you go wash your hands. You are heightened in the way you're looking at life now. You know, I'm sure the folks that work with kids, you know, the kids and their noses are running and stuff. You're not rushing in to wipe that up. Because you're heightened to the fact that there's some bad germs floating around there and I don't want to get them. Spiritual warfare is the same exact thing. It's having the mindset that we are not here just living in the lap of luxury, although in America we kind of are, but that in the unseen world that we can't see with our naked eye but is very real, there is an enemy of our soul prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And so this message is called a hunger strike against hell. You can flip to week three in your guide. And it's interesting that Yeshua had a group of 12 Talmudim but at the beginning of his ministry, what did he do? What did he start his ministry with? A 40-day fast. And what happened is that the enemy came against him 
throughout that whole 40 days to get them to what? Say the word quit. The enemy wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to stop fasting. He wants you to stop praying. He wants you to stop worshiping. And he wants you to go do, go back to do whatever you were doing before. Go watch TV. Because God knows we need another episode of NCIS, right? Was that an episode like 5,000 now? You know, leaving around 15 years or whatever it is. So you're following in Messiah's footsteps by praying and fasting for 40 days. And I want to show you what to expect. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Yeshua, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, returned from the Yardin and was led by the Ruach in the wilderness for 40 days of testing by the adversary. Selah, but I'll let you figure that out by yourself. During that time, he ate nothing, and afterwards he was hungry. The adversary said to him, If you are the Son of God, order this stone to become bread. Yeshua answered him, The Tanakh says man does not live on bread alone. The adversary took him up, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give you all this power and glory. It has been handed over to me, thank you, Adam, and I could give it to whomever I choose. So if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Yeshua answered him, the Tanakh says, Worship Adonai your God and serve him only. Then he took him to Yerushalayim, set him on the highest point of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, jump from here. For the Tanakh says he will order his angels to be responsible for you and to protect you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not hurt your feet on the stones. Yeshua answered him and said, it also says, don't put Adonai your God to the test. And when the adversary had ended all his testings, he let him alone until an opportune time. Yeshua returned to the Galil in the power of the Spirit, and reports about him spread throughout the countryside. I don't, I don't know how he did 40 days eating and drinking nothing. That's supernatural. And I wouldn't recommend that anyone do that. 40 days, no eating, no drinking, that's rough. But before he began his public ministry, Yeshua felt, and not even felt, was led by the Spirit of God to do it. This is how God planned to prepare the Messiah for his earthly ministry. You're going to go into 40 days of prayer and fasting, and you're not going to eat anything, and you're going to be tested by the adversary. It wasn't a replacement fast like the Daniel fast, the one we're doing. Yeshua did a total fast, no food, no water, and it required, like I said, supernatural strength of the Spirit of God to sustain him. You see, this is what I want you to embrace a little bit. You know, we are accustomed to thinking that God only leads us into blessing. It's not true. 
He doesn't always lead us to mountaintops where he heals our bodies and pours out his blessings. There are seasons and times in the life of every follower where we'll be led by the Holy Spirit to a season of self-denial and testing. And friend, that's part of the package. That's part of being in the army of God. Part of it. And we can't um, resist it all the time. Sometimes we have to embrace a little bit of suffering. And it's not like real suffering. It's the suffering of watching a commercial and not being able to have two glazed donuts on a piece of fried, with a piece of fried chicken in the middle. Not exactly suffering, right? But God does ask us to sacrifice, and this is what we're doing. A little sacrifice goes a long way. Are you with me? Prayer and fasting, it's where we withdraw from the world from a time. We go into the wilderness where you might be eating with your family and you sneak up to your room and you seek God and you say, God, there's my, my brothers, my sisters who are struggling with so many things. God, could you move on their behalf? God, could you heal their bodies? God, could you save their family? And there's something about God that he is jazzed about that. Look at my son, look at my daughter. Going without that Krispy Kreme. I know he loves donuts. And I do. I know he wants that big fat jelly donut. And here he is praying for someone so that I could heal him. You know, we think that's silly, it's laughable, it's a little jokeable, but it's serious business to God. Let me... I think I have a picture of the wilderness that Yeshua was in. Can you get look at that? Fun place, huh? You want to go vacation? I'm buying. If you get there, I'm going to take care of all the amenities. You can have all the rocks you want, okay? All the water you could find. <laughs> and any food you find, any plant, eat it. It's all yours. That's the Judean desert. It's rocky, it's barren, very little grows there. It is a place of extremes. It's scorching hot during the day and it's freezing cold at night. It's never nice and mild in the wilderness. It's a brutal place. It's a place where you will be tested, a place where you will not want to go back. <laughs> but that's the place Yeshua went. For who? Who did he go there for? That's right. He went there for you. I'm going to go out on a limb. I've never seen it with my own eyes, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, heaven's pretty nice. That's where he came from. And that's where he went for you. He got stuck on the backside of that desert for 40 days, no food and no water, to be hassled by the created being in Satan so that you can be free.
You know, a lot of believers like their relationship with God nice and mild. Not too hot, not too cold, just nice, lukewarm. Got a little routine going, nice and comfortable. If there's one thing I learned when I was a brand new believer, this walk that I embarked on wasn't going to be comfortable. And it has never been one day comfortable. It's always asking more than I'm willing to give, to be honest with you. When God first hit me with fast four and E3, I'm like, that's crazy. No way. Can't do it. I can't do it. Hoping it would, the voice would go away. I said, okay, I'm going to move on. Then it came again, fast forward, E3. I'm like, uh, I don't want to do it. God, now I'm going, because now I know it's God. I'm saying, God, <laughs> can I please not do it? Can I please not do it? And God comes back again. Nope. That's what I want you to do. Not comfortable. You see, the enemy wants us to think comfy, cozy, nicey-nice. And God, listen, he, God knows that there's a time and place for comfy, cozy, and nice. And what, Listen, we experienced his presence in worship. It was beautiful. I was comfy, cozy. But I also know that those times of his presence, of refreshing, aren't all there is to the kingdom of God. I know there's times where I'm going to have to stare in the face of the evil one, and I'm going to have to get up on my own two feet, and I'm going to have to put on my big boy pants, and I'm going to have to say, no, I'm not tolerating this in my house, in my home, with my children, in my health. No, I'm not going to tolerate it because the Messiah came and gave me the victory. And that's what you're going to have to do from time to time. You're going to have to say, hey, maybe I'm not going to eat today so that I can get some relief and freedom from this thing that's been harassing my life. And I promise you, the rabbi promises you that you're going to make it. That you can go without food for a whole day and you can come out the other side and have breakfast the next morning and you're going to be okay. But the good news is you're going to also get a breakthrough that you didn't get without it. Remember that scripture, Yeshua said, this kind, this type, this problem, this situation only gets resolved by prayer and fasting. There are some things that only get resolved with prayer and fasting. Bad place. Um... And trust me, many times in my walk with God, I've, God calls me, and I, I, already he, I could hear it in the distance. It, it comes into my spirit, and I know this is one of those unpleasant ones, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. okay. Then I need a day or two to digest it. 
say, okay, God, let's do it. Let's get uncomfortable. Let's do a little sacrifice. And when you obey, it's amazing what God does, what God sustains, little things. I said this to, to Rabbi Carroll um, just recently. Often, you know, I, I reference that time of fasting and prayer, but to me, the unsung hero of this congregation are the six to eight people. Don't let that bother you. <laughs> I don't know how many people are here today, but the six to eight people that come every single week to Thursday night prayer or Saturday morning prayer and pray for this congregation. It looks so insignificant. It looks like so, to be frank with you, it looks so pathetic. It does. It looks pathetic. Sometimes I walk out saying, that's all? We come out and pray? But the Spirit of God told me, only takes two or three. The people that come out and pray and sacrifice is the reason why things happen. So I, guess what? I want you to transfer that to your own life. How many times have you heard a testimony? There was my mother praying for me. My, my mother locked up in a room praying and fasting and believing God for a breakthrough as to why someone came to faith. Well, guess what? That could be you locked up in the room for an hour or two for missing a lunch two or three times a week and fasting and praying for your children, for your health, for your finances, for God to break through and do a supernatural miracle. you know God's in the supernatural miracle business? He is, but he works in cooperation with people. David, you're going to be king. I'm going to give you the kingdom. But guess what? You're going to go fight for it. So David, man up. You're going to battle. And you might have to fight someone who's about 10 foot tall and about the size of a Mack truck. But don't worry about it, David. I'm going to be with you. And if you get nervous, no worries. Pick up a few stones and we'll take care of business together. Everyone say test. Yeshua was led by the Ruach into the wilderness where for 40 days he was, some translations say tempted, but the Greek really means tested. He was tested for 40 days. And how many like testings? Who likes a test? And what was going on there was the enemy wanted Yeshua to stop. Just like he's going to want you to stop. And he does already want you to stop reading your Bible. He wants you to stop worshiping the living God. He wants you to stop doing anything of a spiritual nature. That's why, isn't it? Is this, you know, this is known the world over. You could have a beautiful week. You have your Shabbat dinner, right? And then Saturday morning comes and you're loading up the gang to get to shore. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Everyone's going berserk and wild and they want to go and they're kicking and they're screaming. Ah! And there's drama. Gee, is that a coincidence that it happens to everybody every week all the time? No. The enemy doesn't want you to go. 
But on a deeper level, these tests come to strengthen us for hand-to-hand combat with Satan. The scripture says that Satan came up to the Messiah three times and tried to get him to stop, to quit. To quit the test, to quit the fast. So, let me give you, I want you to just picture this. 40 days of no food and water. Forty days. I know how I felt after four. Forty days, no food and water, in that barren wilderness. Or maybe when you're fasting, you get a little fog, right, from the lack of caffeine. You get a little low energy because your sugar in your blood is a little low, and you don't feel like you really have energy to do anything. But what about Yeshua after 40 days? He was at the end of his rope. And now he's getting tested. He's dehydrated, weak, vulnerable, and now the enemy comes to taunt them, trying to get him to quit. See, these 40 days were like Yeshua's own personal hell week. Everyone knows what hell week is, right? You've heard of Hell Week, right? It's the, the Navy SEALs. They go through hell for a week to see if they got what it takes to be able to be a Navy SEAL. It's a grueling test that sailors have to go through if they want to be a SEAL. It's the most elite, highly trained fighting force that our nation has. They are commandos. They're the ones who staged the rescue and the raid in Pakistan that brought Osama bin Laden to justice. They do things that no one else will do. That's what they are. And in a book called The Heart and the Fist, The Making of a Navy Seal, it describes the brutal testing each seal candidate must pass to qualify for a combat. It says it begins with a five-day ordeal known as Hell Week. And the goal of Hell Week is to weed out the weak. And the goal is they want them to quit. They want every single one who signs up, they want them all to quit. Every year, 220 sailors apply, and every year, only 20 make it through the testing. Um, The goal of Hell Week is to test the recruits in every way, physically punish their bodies, mentally stretch their minds to the breaking point, so that The weak are weeded out and only the strong remain. Only those who really, 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 really want to do that for a living. Where you're going to be freezing cold, blistering hot, hungry, tired, weary, looking like that. Only those who really, really, really want to do it. So... There's some footage I want to show you, and it starts on a beach in Coronado, California. It's a beach along the shore of San Diego where they undergo water training. Rigorous PT into the night. They run 20 miles a day. Endless crunches and kicks and calisthenics designed to batter the body. They run more with their boots on and in the sand. They do crunches with rafts on their heads. They crawl under barbed wire. They practice with tear gas and live munitions firing over their heads. They do surf torture training. 
That sounds fun, right? They spend over 20 hours submerged in ice-cold water for hours on end, inducing hypothermia. They're taught to survive hypothermia and to train long into the night. They sleep a total of four hours. They are delirious. Mental and emotional fatigue sets in with these sailors. Their bodies start breaking down. Five hours of PT in the morning, they go through drown-proofing where they throw the cadets into deep water with their hands and feet tied. And they're forced to swim 350 feet underwater, holding their breath. That's something, right? But, obviously, only the strong are going to survive this hell week. And in those five days out of 200 plus, like I said, only 20 pass. That's 90% failure. 90%. Because the real temptation comes when the instructors unveil something they call the quit bell. I had it right here. If you want the pain and the torture and the nightmare to end, they go up to the cadets while they're suffering and they say, just go ring the bell, son, and you'll get a hot meal, a hot shower, and you'll go home to mama. Just go ring the bell. And there's one guy who wrote that book start say, was saying as he was going through it, all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he saw two get up and run, run to the bell and ring the bell. Then two more. Then another one. They were sent home. Got a hot meal, warm shower, and off they went. Do you know the enemy is always wanting you to hit the quit bell? He wants you to quit. He wants you to stop. Drill instructors are known to put a pot of piping hot coffee in a box of donuts. Right? By the bell and say, hey guys, go quit and you can have a donut and a cup of coffee and you can be out of here. They'll say things like, go ring the bell, America doesn't need you, just quit. Get back to your home bed. And that's where a lot of people, a lot of soldiers break. That's their breaking point. They can't stand anymore. And they go and they ring the bell. You know, maybe you are going through something in your life and the enemy wants you to ring the bell. Heck with that. God has missed every opportunity to be faithful to me. So you know what? Gonna ring the bell. God hasn't come through for me. Ring the bell. It's better somewhere else. Ring the bell. Forget reading my Bible. Forget praying. Forget fasting. Ring the bell. Quit. Okay. So the enemy wants you to quit. 
Why did the enemy do that to me in my first couple weeks of being a believer? He wanted me to quit, and I thought about it. I said, what, am I kidding me? This is like crazy. It's craziness. I want to go through that? That's nuts. I want to be afraid every time I lay my head on the pillow? No thanks. But there was something in me, and it was the God's spirit that kept me saying, no, I'm going to just press ahead. Press ahead, press ahead, press ahead. Believe God. Call on his name. Keep praying, keep believing, keep reading, keep worshiping God. The enemy is wanting you to quit on your sickness. Quit and say, you know what, yeah, well, I could still believe in God, but you know what, he can't heal my body. He wants you to quit on all those things that God promises. And I want to tell you, don't quit. He wants you to quit on your marriage. I'm telling you, don't quit. He's saying God can't fix it, but he can. Don't quit on your recovery, on your addiction. Don't quit. The enemy wants you to ring the bell, but God says, hang in there, and I will set you free. The question is this. Will you be intimidated by the enemy and let your circumstances overwhelm you? Or... Will you power through with the help of God's spirit onto victory? It's okay to admit to God that you're weak. It's exactly what I did when I had my little run-ins. I said, God, this is scary. And I need your help. And guess what? God, like always, graciously gave the help. And I want to tell you that God wants to bring you victory, but you might make a few sacrifices along the way. Wouldn't it be worth it to get your healing? Wouldn't it be worth it to get your breakthrough? Wouldn't it be worth it to live in freedom and victory? Wouldn't it be? It's really hard to think that there are some people here today that are this close to quitting something. They're this close to quitting. And let me tell you, you're also this close to a breakthrough. But you're this close to quitting. You're ready to quit. I want to tell you right now, whatever the enemy is promising you, is a lie. He doesn't just go away after you quit. He doesn't. He keeps harassing. He keeps haranguing. That's what he does. He wants you to ring the bell. Don't quit. Fasting is spiritual warfare. Believers... The life we live is not a playground. It's a battleground. And in a lot of ways, this is a little bit of an unpleasant message, but that's okay. Matter of fact, like the seals charge and quit, right? You would encourage quit because he needs folks that are going to fight the fight. What are we called to do in the scriptures? Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race. Keep the faith. That's what God asks of us. And for those people 
he guarantees victory. For those who don't quit, he guarantees victory and breakthrough and freedom. And you know what? It really doesn't come any other way. It doesn't come. No one's going to wave a, a magic wand over your head. You're not going to get prayed by someone. You're going to be so free that you don't know what to do. It's gonna, you're going to be free when you take up your arms and fight against the enemy for yourself, with your brethren, with your brothers and sisters standing with you. But here's the good news, that if you do it, and hear me out, if you do it consistently, and you don't do it and try it for three weeks and then give up, no, but if you do it consistently, every day, faithfully serve God, faithfully read the word, faithfully pray, faithfully worship him, guess what? Those strongholds of hell over your life will begin to weaken and break. They will. Go back to Luke 4 for a second. Yeshua, like I said, is going through his own personal hell week, and Satan tempts him three times to ring the bell. And he says he starts off with hungry. I know you're hungry. Take some stones and turn into bread and eat. Quit. Hey, you know what? You guys are doing this Daniel fast. You know, fruits and vegetables, Rabbi, only go so far. So just quit. Forget it. And by the way, I say that, not that you can't have a bagel when we go up there. Because, you know, God gives us a respite, too. If you want to have a piece of cake and a donut or whatever is up there, no donut, sorry. Um, you could go back to it tonight. That's cool. A little hunger tests the old fortitude, huh? Miss Meal. Don't let that dissuade you. And I know there's so many in here that you fasted many, many days. And you know what it's like, right? A little uncomfortable, a little unpleasant, but it's doable. But the enemy tempted him, and he'll tempt you to quit. But what do we do? We fast, and then we fill it with the Word of God, with prayer, right? Yochanan 4.4 says, You have already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Philippians 4.13 says, I could do all things through Messiah who gives me strength. Yeshua used the word when he was tempted. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm not sustained because I have pizza. I'm sustained because the word of God sustains me. And by the way, that's true because it is impossible physically to go more than four days without water. Forty days he went. 2 Chronicles 2.15 says, don't be afraid or discouraged. It's another tactic of the enemy. For the battle is not yours, but God's. God is wanting to get in on your fight. But guess what? Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit. Don't look at the armies of Mount Seir and Moab and say, holy cow, God, what am I going to do? God said, don't be discouraged. 
And he said, go, Jehoshaphat, go, send the singers out in front of the army. Yeah, that's a good idea. And God did a powerful miracle. Let me give you two more and we're going to quit. Second thing is God's word is a weapon. And we've been talking about that. You have to fight, 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 fight with the word of God. We say all, wait, can I just be frank with you? We say all sorts of stupid things over our kids. But we never think, gee, maybe I should speak the word of God over my kids. Maybe I'll speak the word of God into their life, that God has a plan and purpose for your life. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, my son, my daughter. That you can do all things through the Messiah who gives you strength. And then how about speaking those things into our kids instead of the silly things that we actually say? The word of God is powerful. And yet, you can walk and he listen to in the halls of believers and so little of the word of God is spoken and declared. I mean, do you sit around your house and declare the word of the Lord in your house? Or do you just watch Fox News? And you're, you're hoping the president is going to do something. I want to tell you something. I wouldn't put a bet on that. I'd rather put my bet in God. And you could speak God's word and his life into your home. And see the good things that you want. If you don't think words are powerful, you're in the wrong kingdom. The Bible says there is power of life and death in the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Power of life and death. Yet we take that scripture and we put it on the back burner and we never speak the life of the Spirit of God into our home. Friends, you need to start to do it. Number three, and this is my final point. So we see that God's word is a weapon, right? We understand that we're at war, no doubt. This is not a question. I'm not thinking we're at war. I know we're at war. And number three, worship is a weapon of war. During a fast, you're dethroning every appetite in your life that competes with God for allegiance. That includes food and other things you might give up during the fast. Let me ask you a question. I get it. You get home from work, you're tired. How many hours of TV could you watch? How many books could you read? How many newspapers could you consume? And we do all those things, but we don't take a half hour and say, I'm going to pray and worship God for a half hour and see what happens in my home. We came into this building today, and it was just like an empty building with purple chairs and a purple carpet in it. And we as a community of people began to play a few notes, sing a few songs, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. Do you think the atmosphere will change in your house? Heard a few notes. 
hum a few tunes and worship God in your home. Yeah, yeah, things would change in your home. Things would change over your children. Things would change over your family. Things would change over your health if you were to do it on a regular basis, but we don't do it. And we have every reason why we were too busy. Friend, you're not too busy. You're, you're too... <laughs> you have to worship the living God in your home and use the weapon of worship. What happens when you worship God? His presence comes. Freedom comes. Joy comes. Let someone help you. Put on a worship CD. Put on a worship show. Whatever it is. And worship with them and see what God will do. You don't think worship is just for here, do you? Do you think it's just for here? No. Worship is for you to practice every single day. Because after all, am I right or wrong? All of us in this room are worshipers of God. Are we not? And we would be hard-pressed to be called a worshiper if we don't worship, wouldn't we? So worship means that our lifestyle is one of worship, not only with music, with how I conduct my business, how I do business as a person, my integrity, right? I worship God with every aspect of my life. I worship God with my voice. I worship God with everything that I have, with my finances. I worship God. And when we worship God, combined with fasting, powerful things will take place. I believe that we're going to have some really super powerful times of worship as we progress on this fast. I think we saw a little taste of that today. And the point is, it doesn't have to be reserved for this sanctuary. This could happen in your car as you're driving to work. It could happen as you put on some music and worship God during your lunchtime. Powerful things could happen. Why is that? Because the enemy needs to be destroyed over your life, and he cannot stand the presence of God. The enemy wants you to quit. And God wants you to worship. Enemy wants you to quit. And God wants you to worship. Who here is glad that Yeshua didn't quit? That's the good news, really. If you take ringing that bell out of your equation and say there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to quit, that I'm going to continue to worship God, I'm going to continue to speak His scripture, I'm going to continue to serve God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're going to bring a victory in your life. I'm going to stay on the fast to see God do a miracle in my life, in my family, and my children. I'm going to refrain from eating that donut, that chicken, or whatever it is that's getting your goat. 
I'm not going to do it. Why? I'm going to sacrifice it for my breakthrough. You hear that? That's music to the enemy's ears. He wants you to tap out quick. But God says don't. God says don't. It's not worth it. And what God will do in your life if you hang in there, and even if you trip up and you fall down, get up again and continue to go forward in God. God's going to do wonderful things in your life. I know it. I know there's breakthroughs coming for you and for you and for you and for you and for you. I know that there's no weapon of hell that could stop God from moving in your life. Okay? And so what you have to do is simply cooperate with God. He's asking simple things that we could do. You could miss a meal. You can worship him. You could quote a scripture. And if you can't quote it, you could read it. Over your home, over your life, over your situation. Let's stand. Now, after a message like this, you probably figure we're going to go and suffer a little bit, but reality is you're going to go and you're going to be able to have a bagel if you want it. <laughs> a cup of coffee or whatever the case may be. And there's no condemnation. You could do it, enjoy it, and then get back on to fasting when you get home and shake hell off your life. We were standing online at um, many, many, many years ago for a meeting, and there was this young, young kid walking around. There was hundreds of us waiting to get in this meeting. There was a young kid walking around singing this little ditty. Shake, shake, shake. Shake the devil off. Shake, shake, shake. Shake the devil off. And we're like, oh, that's pretty good. But he kept doing it. Shake, shake, shake. Shake the devil off. In the name of Yeshua, shake the devil off. Put him under your feet. <laughs> shake the devil. He started going. Next thing you know, there's like 200 people chanting this little ditty that he had made up. And the point was that the enemy does not have power over you. If you lift your voice and tell the enemy to go back from where he came from, he has to go. And you can live unharassed and in victory and see God do great things. So let me pray a blessing over you. Go upstairs, enjoy a time of fellowship and owning together. And remember, guys, that this is a spiritual battle, but it's a battle that can and will be won as long as you stay in the fight. Amen? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his sweet shalom. God, I pray your healing, your favor, your grace, your health and wholeness over your people in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Father, I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that they ask or imagine in Yeshua's name. And Father, that you would grant them victory 
over er Lord, over every work and tactic of darkness, and Father, that your people would experience the breakthrough that they so desire, and we ask it in Yeshua's name. Everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for putting up with me, and we have an awning upstairs. God bless.